But people, by extension, try to you know, integrate data protection. But again, I think that's a problem. Because if you look at what data protection means, if you look at the essence of data protection, you would see that it is not exactly privacy as contemplated in the Constitution. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Data Protection 101 podcast. And I'm your host, Victoria Oloni. Today, I'm not here alone. I have a guest, one of our guys in this space. He has been doing this for a while, way longer than I have. And I always learn from him anytime I hear him speak. I happen to be privileged to have worked on something with him before and um, all this stuff. He will introduce himself. So with me here, I have Temitayo. Temitayo, hi. Hello, Victoria. It's, it's such a pleasure to have you here. Thank you very, very much. Um, I don't think I can do justice to introducing you, so I'll leave that to you. Okay, then. Thank you so much for inviting me to this very um, creative and educative platform. I think you're doing a great thing, and I know that um, you'll start seeing great results soon. So my name is Tayo. Kenny Tayo Gumoku. Everyone calls it Tayo. Oh, my friends call Tayo. it Tayo. Yes. Okay. I am a, I'm a lawyer. I'm a Nigerian lawyer. I practice privacy and data protection um, primarily, although I do have some other interests by venture of my work. I done extensive consulting in space. Mm-hmm. I have also practiced as a full-time lawyer doing advisory primarily and helping with um, undone remediation and implementation projects. I am based in the EU, in Brussels, Belgium, and I currently work with a law firm. It's called ELO International Law Firm. I head the West African slash Nigerian desk. Yes. So that's me, basically. All that's I can say is God went. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I can say something else. Cut so fast, please. Don't worry. Don't worry. Like I said earlier, I think we've had this conversation before. It's only a matter of time. It's, it's probably about consistency and, and hard work and grace and all of that. But yes. It's only a matter of time, really, if you, if we all keep at it. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for being here. So today we'll be talking about data subjects, right? I think it's probably one of those topics that really, really, really like affects everybody. Everybody should be able to relate to. It's not like, oh, I'm addressing data controllers, data processors only. Now it's everybody's business. And I really like this topic for that reason. Apart from the fact that I've tried to look for some trouble with some of the organizations that probably my bank and other people have tried to look for some trouble with them mm-hmm. in recent times as regards data subject rights. So this is some kind of free advice you am getting even for me. But before we even get there, there's this, there's this issue in the data protection space that I always say that Data protection practitioners have serious problems. Like privacy and data protection. Are they the same thing? The whole concept of data privacy. What's the point? Because it's something that just makes my head boil every time I see it. <laughs> privacy and data protection. I mean, I, I see that. I see that a lot. Yes, I, I think that's even, I think that's a great place to start if you ask me. Um, there are divergent opinions on that. You know, some people think that some people think that these terms are substitutable or they can, you can substitute them, they are interchangeable. Uh, but I don't think so. I have very strong reasons not to think so. First and foremost, I mean, let's look at the EU where many of these things originated from, right? So mm-hmm. in the EU, there is no, there is no dichotomy. This is not an, it's not a conversation in the EU. Why? Because the laws are very clear on this. They are separate concepts. There's privacy on the one hand and there's data protection on the other. On the other. Even though they are kind of related, they are not exactly distinct, but they are separately treated. They are separate laws that guide them. So all of this academic conversations don't, you don't have them in the EU. But when you come to jurisdictions like Nigeria where the law is not really clear, that's when you encounter all of this. And then you start hearing funny terms, uh, data, privacy, kinecon, kinecon. Well, so I would say again, and I think that the judicial system has not really helped matters. Yes, there is vagueness in the law, but if you go to the courts too, there's a problem. Because I'm aware that there are conflicting decisions too. At the level of the court of appeal, the high courts, I think the matters are 
they've not gone the court of appeal have no exactly exactly we're waiting judgment on this two divergent opinions right one there are conversations as to whether they are related or whether they are separate and all of that so let me let me quickly give my opinion on this okay briefly said i think they're they're, they're different they're not so distinct but i think they're different so when you say privacy in nigeria right privacy is a constitutional issue if you go to section 37 of the nigerian constitution you'd see that it's a fundamental human rights it's one of the things one of the fundamental human rights that are identified in the constitution right and it's even clearly stated privacy and private life right to enjoyment of private life and freedom from you know interference with private affairs private correspondence and all of that right but you won't, unfortunately, you won't see any mention of data protection in that section. But people, by extension, try to, you know, integrate data protection. But again, I think that's a problem. Because if you look at what data protection means, if you look at the essence of data protection, you would see that it is not exactly privacy as contemplated in the Constitution. And I'll, I'll further explain that. You see, I keep saying that the expression itself, the expression data protection is a misnomer. <laughs> I, I'll say that again. Data protection, that phrase, is not the correct. I mean, if you understand what data protection entails, it doesn't yeah, correctly describe it. Yeah, it seems like it. it's the opposite. It's not the meaning. Exactly, exactly. And I'll further expatiate that. So when you say data protection, per se, data protection does not really deal with the protection of personal data or data. Again, data protection doesn't really deal with, it's not entirely focused on the protection of personal data. If you're talking about the protection, uh, the protection of personal data, you're looking at information security, you're looking at cyber security, and these things are part of data protection. You know, security, integrity, accuracy are, it's one of the, you know, principles of data protection, right? But data protection, what data protection entails is the protection of humans against the unauthorized use of their personal data. So data protection seeks to protect natural persons, not data per se. Do you, do you get my point? Yeah, when yeah. You say, when you say data protection, data protection, it's, it's, it's a problem, sort of. Because I, I think the expression is in this number. It doesn't accurately describe what data protection entails. Now, and if you look at it in that context, you would understand it. You would, you would, you would see the problem when people say data privacy. Why? Because I don't think that privacy can, and data can enjoy privacy. Privacy is a fundamental human right that only accrues to natural persons. Do you understand? I don't think yeah. that data can enjoy privacy. Yes, data can enjoy protection, but on privacy. That's why I think that privacy can should be on the one hand, data protection should be on the other. These are separate concepts. Data protection protects, it seeks to protect human beings from the unauthorized use of their data. It seeks to give people control over how their data should be used. But privacy is even broader. Privacy has to do with whether you want to stay in your apartment and be free from fine eyes or be free from um, someone who just is dropping on your conversations or looking at your private correspondence and all of that. So these are, I, and I don't think the distinction is, is subtle. I think they are really significant. So I, I don't understand why people love them. I think that it has to do a lot with um, very superficial research. If you have a comprehensive understanding of these things, you will see this distinction. So we cannot use them as synonyms. I don't think so. And again, I don't think data privacy should be used. It doesn't, it doesn't, it's alien to our legal framework. I know there's a mention, one mention of it in the NDPR, but I, I think we've all agreed that that was the most, I think the correct expression in our legal framework should be data protection, data protection. Because the model that we are adopting, or that we are adopting our entire framework after, or we're modeling our framework on, as the European Union's framework, does not make any mention of data privacy. It's only um, data protection. Look at the, look at particularly Article 16 of the um, Treaty of the Functioning of the European Union, makes mention of data protection. That's that's a consumer document of the EU. Look at the GDPR, so you never see data privacy in, in the GDPR. You get my point. So I, I think that correct expressions in our jurisdiction should be privacy and data protection. All of these funny things that we see, information privacy and, and data privacy, they are very alien. They are American. They, they yeah, are they are to the Libai group. They're like, oh, we have an academic. We have someone who yeah. says it's data privacy. It should not be an issue. They are the same. They are synonyms. It doesn't matter. Exactly. But I think it matters. I, I think, I think, I think it does. It does because these things are not, these things are not, they're not exactly the same. Information, 
um, privacy, for example, is for me is a bit more much more expansive. But that is not the subject of this conversation. We shouldn't digress too too far because <laughs> besides, I think all of this is really academic. If you get into full <laughs> practice, it really doesn't matter whether you call it privacy or data protection. <laughs> I remember we do that thing keeps ringing in my brain every yeah. day. From yeah, that's a joke. That's that's an inside. That's an inside joke. Actually, it's something that we've talked about. Not LinkedIn is not the same thing as data protection in practice. They are very different. So entirely different things. So it's always interesting when you see people going on and on about the theoretical part of data protection. I, I it doesn't really resonate with me because when you get into the field per se, all of these things just you don't really apply. They don't, I mean, they may apply, but they don't, <laughs> you need to do a lot of thinking outside the box. And some of these things, you won't even find them in written law per se. You have to be very innovative. So, so. Interesting. Thank yeah. you for clearing that up now. You're welcome. I think we have, a lot of people will now have an understanding of why we say they are not the same and they should not be used interchangeably. Before we even move into data subject rights proper, I also wanted to discuss two concepts, personal data and data subjects. What is personal data? Is it every data about an individual that qualifies as personal data? Mm. And Very good question. data subjects? Again, we can't, like you noted, we can't get into the substance of this conversation if we don't know what personal data means. Because again, data protection seeks to protect personal data, not all categories of data. There are different types of data, too. But we have to understand that when we're talking data protection, we're dealing with personal data. And personal data is any kind of information by which you can, you can identify someone, a natural person with, it's a marker, an online identifier, sort of, that when you have this information, you can immediately deduce the identity of a natural person from it can be a name, it can be a photo, it can be an email address, it can be it can even be your username on social media. It can be your IP address, it can be your SIM and number, it can be your your location data, it can be your biometric data, your health data. So the idea is that if there's any kind of information that once you see that information you can say that ah this is this is Victoria. I know that this is Victoria's information. That is personal data. And that is the essence of that is that is the whole idea of, of data protection. That is what data protection seeks to protect. That's on the one hand. On the other, we have data subjects. Now, a data subject is someone basically that um, owns personal data, right? Someone that owns personal data and then someone else, an organization or someone else is trying to make use of that personal data. That's 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 it basically. Someone that can be identified with personal data. It has to be a natural person, very importantly, because um, an organization, a company cannot have personal data. The, I, I read this somewhere. I don't, I'm trying to remember where I read it, that the NDPR also also protects um, data, of, does also protects um, persons that are not natural persons, like corporate persons and artificial persons, because... The law doesn't say natural persons. And I'm not sure if it's the NDPR, but I read it somewhere that if it does not say natural persons, it just says people. It could be natural or sharp person. I, I have lots of reasons to ask that. Because again, when we're reading all of these things, we need to look at other sources for, for clarification too. Right? And that's even, I, I, on the one hand, I don't think that is true because I'm 100% sure that the NDPR, which is the primary law that regulates data protection in Nigeria for now, it makes mention of natural person and again, five natural person. That's what the law says. I think article something, something, article one, three, then um, 14 or thereabouts. I'm not sure. Yes, I don't want to be citing laws, but if you go to that particular de- definition section of the NDPR, it makes reference to natural persons. So I don't, um, again, I, I don't think that it is, it is beneficial for people generally to get into the thick of this very theoretical argument. Yeah. You understand? A company cannot go to court and say that they want to go and enforce their personal data rights or their data protection rights. It makes, it makes no sense. No court will entertain such a suit. No regulatory authority would, would take that matter up. Because the essence of data protection, like I said, data protection is, is not the protection of data. If you're talking protection of data, you're talking information security. Data protection is the protection of natural persons from the unauthorized use or abuse of their personal data. So once you keep that in mind, I, I, I think that it just solves, it, it lays that argument 
to, to rest. Yes, it does. Now let's get into the gist of this podcast, this episode. What laws protect data subjects? Like, okay, okay. I have, um, of course, there's so much information about me on the internet. Like, am I protected or because I put it out there, I'm screwed? <laughs> like, what right, like, what protects me? What laws protect okay. me? So the thing is that by virtue of my training and my work background and all of that, my professional background, I, I will be making a lot of references to the laws of the European Union, even though they may not exactly have binding effects in Nigeria. They, they have a lot of processes effects. But let's start with the Nigerian, from the Nigerian perspective first. As a Nigerian, if you're looking for laws that protect your, your personal data rights, you have to, unfortunately, I should start by saying that unfortunately there is no view comprehensive law that really protects personal data rights. There is something, but it's not as comprehensive as what you would have in other countries. But again, thankfully, there is something. But again, unfortunately for, I would say unfortunately for everyone, the laws on data protection in Nigeria, uh, the framework is fragmented. There's a lot of fragmentation, fragmentation in that space in the sense that there are lots of sectoral, different sectoral laws that apply to different um, cover different fields. For example, if you want to um, look for information that relates to the protection of health data, specific laws that relate to health data, you have to go and look for the National Health Act. If you want to do anything relating to financial transactions, you have to look at some of the subsidiary legislations that um, regulate the, the finance sector, the CDN laws and policies and all of that. Right? Yes. So yes. all of these laws are scattered in several places and that's why it's difficult to, you know, harmonize all of them and pinpoint one or point to specific law. But thankfully again there is the NDPR, the Nigerian Data Protection Law, which came into effect in January twenty nineteen. Right? It, it it tries, that law tries to harmonize the framework. It tries to act as the subordinating no not subordinating the superintending law when it comes to you know, data protection. But again, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, um, there are lots of gaps. And then, um, well, the good thing is that there is an implementation framework that was released in um, November last year, 2020, that seeks it's to, yeah. Uh, yeah, seeks to plug some of the gaps. But again, there's a lot of conversation going on on how to make that framework effective so that Nigerians can be protected. Well, if you're looking for laws that protect data protection, you look at the NDPR, like I said, or look at other sectors to sectoral laws depending on the type of data that is affected personal data that is affected okay any other thing or i can go ahead with my next question you can you can go ahead i'm trying to you know i'm trying to summarize many of these responses so that i don't lose we don't lose the substance of the the responses yeah and so it doesn't get long like it doesn't get too long yeah I am really conscious about that. So what are these rights? Like what rights data subjects have? For example, you know, in the constitution, we have the right to life, right to dignity, freedom of information, and all that, freedom of movement. What are let, let me dig it from the, let me, let me dig it from the top again. So if you, if you, if an organization is trying to use your data, or an individual is trying to use your data for anything. Let's say you feel you put your data on the form, you go to an event, you, you mm. get the form and you fill in your data. Um, as soon as you start filling that information and the testing or testing, the natural testing or the organization collects that form from you, it has automatically become a controller because the process of collecting data itself is, 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 is processing. It started processing your data. And once they start processing your data, that individual or that organization becomes the controller and you become the data subject, right? Now, in that relationship, there are certain rights that accrue to you. Once you become a data subject, once you identify the data subjects, there are certain rights that you enjoy. They, they are inherent, right? And they are very, I, I would, I would, I would call them sweets. If the enforcement, <laughs> yes, if, if the enforcement um, framework was good, it would have been really sweet. I think that a lot of them would have seen real action. But um, a lot of conversation is going on, on on that as well. But what are these rights? What are these rights? If I'm a data subject, what are these rights? Now, um, again, we should remember that data protection basically seeks to, you know, give you control over how your information is used. If any website is collecting my information, it's placing cookies on my computer, it's doing this, it's doing that, I need to have control 
I need to understand what is happening exactly. What are you doing with my data? What are you, what medium or what media are you using to collect and process this data? What type of data are you collecting in all this? Are you collecting my name? Are you collecting my date of birth? Are you collecting my location data, my IP address? What are you doing with this data? Where are you storing this data? Who are you sharing all of this data with? These are very significant things because a lot of, there's a lot that can be done. When all of this data is aggregated, they can, organizations can literally create a profile based on all of that. They can, they can build you. They can create a digital clone of you to know the kind of person that you are, the kind of things that you like to do, the kind of places that you like to go, your, the kind of clothes that you like to buy, the kind of food that you like to eat. And when an organization has this much data, exactly, when an organization has this much data on you, they can nudge you to, to do certain things unconsciously. And when an external party has that much power over you, it becomes your god, sort of, whether you like it or not. So the, the risks that, that, uh, tied to that are very significant. And that's why this entire data protection thing seeks to let people understand what is happening and to give them control, to give them a, to let them have a say over all of this. Now, something like leveling the play, playing field. Exactly. Not that I, I mean, in practice, it's, ex- it's extremely, I don't think it's practically, it's, it's really doable to level the playing field because, um, these organizations, by virtue of their resources, by virtue of their corporate greed and ambition, they, um, they have an edge. But again, like you said, it's trying to create a balance, trying to, Make sure that, okay, even if you want to do this thing, let me be aware of what you're doing. Let it be with my approval or let it be out of necessity. Do you understand? What are these rights? First and foremost, I, 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 I would say that the starting point for all of these rights is the right, right of information. Yeah? Because the thing is that you can't even exercise any kind of control if you don't know what is happening. You need to know. You need to know what type of data is being collected about you. You need to know where the data is going to. You need to know what organizations they are sharing, the controllers sharing your data with. You need to know many things. You need to know literally everything. So, now what the law says is that any company that wants to, any organization, I keep saying companies because usually, and I would say that this data protection thing is supposed to regulate companies more than even natural persons that are controllers, right? So, I keep saying companies okay. instead of controllers. Again, when I say controllers, I mean someone that is processing your personal data. Someone of a, an entity that is processing your personal data. Now, what the law says is that if you're going to process people's personal data, you need to have it very conspicuous on the medium with which you're processing that data. You need to have certain things on, on there. It needs to reflect. I don't need to look too hard to find it. Hmm. And, um, <laughs> yeah, I didn't, I didn't need to, I don't need to stress. Well, in the mud. I don't need, to, I don't need to stress, right? And primarily what the law is saying is that have a privacy notice on your website. Have a privacy notice that gives all of this information. What kind of data you're collecting about me? What, um, what you're doing with this data? Will you're sharing this data with the identity of your data protection officer? Do you understand? And the rights that are even available to me if anything happens. Mm-hmm. So all of these things should be, should be very conspicuously displayed on whatever medium that you're using to collect data. Unfortunately, many companies, many organizations do not comply with this particular um, obligation. And even when they do, they don't do it as, as um, fully as they should. But um, yes, so the rights, one of the rights that now accrues to you from this is that you should be able to access that information. You should be able to demand for that information. When you make a demand for it, the organization is supposed to honor that request within a specific timeline. Now, unfortunately, the NDPR does not have a timeline within which you must the company must honor. Uh, mm-hmm. But it says that it is not going to honor within 30 days, one month, it should notify you. The law is a bit different in other jurisdictions. In the EU, for example, it says that the organization must honor that request within 30 days. But in Nigeria, there's a subtle difference. It just says that if the organization is not going to honor that request, to give you every information that you want about yourself, that is, the organization is holding about you, it needs to notify you within 30 days that this information on having difficulties, I need an extension, blah, blah, blah. They can not answer you for as long as they want, as long as they can say, oh, we're going to answer you sometime in the future. No, no, no. That's, that's one of, like I said, there are gaps in the NDPR, right? That's one of the gaps that have been identified. The lack of a turnaround time when it comes to getting information, the right of exercising the right of information, right? 
what the law only says is that if you can if they cannot notify you within one month, they have to inform you and to tell you why they have not been able to honor your request. Do you get? But it doesn't say yeah. that. Unfortunately, it doesn't say that they have to honor your request within one month. Or they have to get an extension instantly. Yeah, but I'm sure that in the draft laws, that in the subsequent laws that will be enacted, all of these things, um, this this is an area that will be, you know, will be plugged. And um, I, I, this is connected to the second um, second right, so which is the right of access. They are very related. Access is that if I want an information from you, if I'm curious as to what kind of information I you're holding about me, I can ask you to supply it. And I think that I'm aware that I think that you, you, that, that's something that you've tried to do yourself, Victoria, right? I did it with my bank. <laughs> they <laughs> heard me like, <laughs> I'm still outside in the sun collecting eggs. That is really sad because, that is really sad because I'm aware that in the EU, if you get a DSR request, a, 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 a data subject access request and you ignore it, that's a problem. You are likely going to be sanctioned. So companies don't joke with it at all. I know I've done so many DSRs and, Usually within that one month and period, I would always get feedback here in Europe. I won't but, even be surprised if they don't check that mail or they forgotten the password. Exactly. But in any case, so if you're curious, if you want to know what kind of data your, let's say your network, MTN or Glow has on you, 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 you can write them. What the law says is that you can write them, write them an email, tell them to supply it within so on. So give them certain information that will then make them easily identify you. And they even have the right to ask for additional information to be able to ensure that it's the owner, the actual owner of the information is asking for this information. Right? Mm-hmm. And they are obliged to supply that information to make it, provide it in writing in very, unintelligible form that is easy to understand. Right? And yeah. then, Ordinarily, they're not even supposed to charge a fee for that. The only exception, the only condition on which they can charge a fee for that service is if it is discovered or it is confirmed that the request is unfounded, is manifestly unfounded. That's, that's the language of the law. Manifestly unfounded or excessive. That's the issue you're making subject as a request every month. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a problem. So they can, but of course, they cannot refuse. What they can only do is that they can charge you something very commensurate, something very fair. But that's, that's the second. Uh, the third is a bit more interesting. It's not more. It's actually very interesting. It's called, um, erasure. Uh, that's, that's something that has generated a lot of, uh, very fine arguments. Uh, they talk about this, this man that asked, like, is it these two cases they like to compare? The man that asked, is it Google to take down his information or the, yeah. The man that I wanted his criminal record wiped. Yeah, it's the same actually. It was bankrupt, the Google, and there was another one that was bankruptcy. Yes, it's a Google Castilla case. Um, so this particular right is an interesting one. I remember that I once put out a tweet on this um, right, and it went viral because people were not aware. So what is the right of deletion or the right of erasure or the right to be forgotten? Basically, they have, they have Kind of connected. So it's to the effect that you can, you can ask a data controller to literally wipe off every data they have about you. So you can ask Google to clear their cache, their online cache or their online database to wipe off everything that they have about you. So when someone types in your name, nothing will pop up. That is something mm-hmm. that, um, that's, that's a very, it's a very powerful right, if you ask me. Don't change my identity and disappear. It's very powerful, right? But I should add that, um, I should add that Google is not exactly obligated to comply. The way the law is phrased, right? If you make that request, you don't have to oblige. You can only oblige if certain things are present. You know, it doesn't start from a comply to exception situation. You understand? It doesn't, you don't, they don't have an inherent obligation to comply. comply. Duty to comply, yes. They have to make sure that this one, too. That you certain conditions are in place before they can comply, so they can actually refuse, right? They can refuse and then go and check like, and see they, whether. That's my name, and yeah. they don't. It doesn't work like that. Yeah, it doesn't work like that. It's a very powerful right. So I it's don't. It's a very think powerful right. Yes. Deal with it anyhow. It's a very powerful right. So um, it's a bit. It's, that's why it's a bit restricted, really. Certain things, certain conditions have to arise, and uh, there are a couple of them. Um, one of them is that um, the data, the reason for which they collected the data is no longer necessary. And that's, that's the very subjective factor. Really. 
I don't know how to how they are going to determine whether because again, you know, Google does not collect data, but say different organizations. Yeah, it's just a search engine. Like how do they do it? Are they not just linking you to other websites? Like exactly. some kind of directory so, kind of. So, but the thing is that the thing is that if you're exercising data subject rights, if you've notified, because by of course by 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 publishing your information, they've inadvertently they've inadvertently made themselves data controllers and they're bound, right? So you can address them. It doesn't matter if they collected the data directly from you or they got it from some other website. If you address them, they are obligated to communicate that request to other controllers that have your data. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They have to, they have to communicate that, that request, that instruction to clear your data to other controllers, to all the websites that have your information. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, in practice, it's an extremely, it's an extremely difficult, um, right to exercise, especially if you're, if you're addressing it to digital corporations like Google, like Facebook, because they are, most of them are third party controllers, really. But for other companies, yeah, I mean, I can tell my internet service provider or what's it my MTN, for example, to clear my data. And if they are the only ones holding my data, they should be able to clear it. But again, shared to everybody, because I don't understand why bank, I don't have bank account with sending me to text message, I should come and recharge. That's, that's, that's a serious problem. Like I said, in Nigeria, I think the laws are there, but again, enforcement is a different ballgame entirely, right? So, the laws are there, but enforcement is something. And that's, that's one hole that has to be plugged urgently. So, and um, very quickly, another right, restriction of processing. Restriction of processing is very simple. Let's say a controller has your data, but you don't want them to delete your data. At the same time, you don't want them to use your data for a temporary period. You can instruct them. You see, I, I'm restricting you from processing my data. Just pause. I don't want you to delete. But I don't want you to use it. Just, you know. In what kind of circumstance can this come up? Uh, the, the circumstance that, the good thing is that they're actually defined by, they're defined by, by law. And one situation is where, let's say the controller has finished the purpose for which the data was collected is, is, is done already, as an accomplished, right? But the con- you, 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 the data subject, you need the data to, for the defense of legal claims. Let's say you want to file a suit and you need that information. You can just tell them to pause. Don't delete, right? Don't delete my data. Don't do anything. Just pause. Anything. Another situation is if the controller is processing your data, but there is ambiguity, there's doubt as to the accuracy of the personal data that they have on them. You know, accuracy is one of the principles of legal, um, of, of um, processing, of data processing, right? Let's say they have a, a wrong name or a wrong date of that. You can just tell them to wait, just pause. Don't process, don't consider, don't use my data. Let me verify and let me try to rectify this. Or try to rectify. If you've given a, a rectification instruction, so that please can change this before you consider processing. I think another situation is where Let's say data has been unlawfully processed. Mm-hmm. Data has been unlawfully processed. There's no legal basis. You, you, I'm guessing there's something that you discussed on one of the previous podcasts. Let's say the controller does not have any reason to process your data, but they are doing it anyway. Now you're aware. Now instead of telling them to stop or to erase, you, you can tell them to just stop or pause in this case. So you're restricting processing. That is the right that accrues to you as a data subject and you can exercise it if you want. The fifth data subject right is portability. Data portability. Now, portability is simply to the effect that if someone, let's say an entity has your data, you can just, and you want to migrate, let's say, what can I use as an example? I don't photo. <laughs> exactly. I don't want to use those examples because those ones have, exactly, those ones have, they have frameworks in place already. For example, you can easily port from MTN to, to Celtel. Actually, this is, this whole thing. Is an exercise of the right of data portability, porting from one platform to another. But let's, let's, I don't want to use the example of bands too, because, um, yeah, I mean, bands, you don't need to, when you go into, when you want to change your bands, you don't need to do, because of your BVN, you don't really need to go through all of the hoops, jump through all of the hoops, all of these uh, databases. You will furnish your address to your NEPA bill. When you furnish all of those things, it's just to confirm. They have your, they have your, there's a, there's a synchronized database. The CDN has a synchronized database for, for customers. So you can easily, it's just to verify whether you're indeed the person. It's not that you're for the first time. But let's, let's even, let's look at other examples. Let's say you want to, um, I don't know, let's say you registered on um, Facebook. 
and then you want someone to treat her. You can you can instruct without entering the information. And like, that's the essence of this possibility. And there are different scenarios. There are a million scenarios that you can exercise this right. But it just says that you can move, you can instruct one provider, one controller to move all of your data to another platform. Now, there's something that is that I like to say about this portability. Portability can be limited where there are technical issues and there are technical limitations. For example, uh, and this is where I like to make a distinction between portability and data migration, right? So let's say you are a client, you, know, you use a website, a retail website, and you've told, okay, Victoria, you're the, you're the data subject. I have a website. Mm-hmm. And then you told me to move your data that you have on my database or my website to someone else's database or someone else's website. Now you don't want to, you know, shop with me again. You want to start partnering with someone, right? You've yeah. indicated your, you've exercised the right of portability. Now I now approach a third party and I'm, no, 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 before I even approach the third party, I approach, because I'm a, I'm a website, I, of course, there's a website host that I have that hosts my website, which is who in this case might be a, a controller. Like a joint controller, because they host my website. Are you are you following me? Yeah. Now, um, I've told the website hosts now that one of my customers is saying that they want to move their data. Please, you're hosting my website. You have all of my information. Please move this person's web and data to another website, right? But my website mm-hmm. host is saying that they cannot comply. They don't want to comply with that request. Why? They are saying that because even though your clients, your clients can exercise. Is our right of data for them, is our right of portability. Um, you are a corporate yeah. organization, you don't enjoy data subject rights. So you cannot tell me to post. Or you cannot tell me to, you cannot so tell data me. data subject to has to be the one that goes to the. Yeah. But not, I mean, not, not necessarily. Because of that, it, it's a very complex, I'm, I'm telling you a scenario that I actually experienced in real oh. life. Whoa. It's a, it's a, it's a very, because now I'm not asking for data portability, I'm asking for data migration. And those ones are even saying that, uh, well, in the scope of our, in the web hosting agreement that we signed with you, it doesn't include data migration. So you have to pay extra. You have to pay extra for it. And even if you don't pay extra, I, like we don't even want extra because our own platform is not interoperable with the platform that you're asking us to migrate data to. So this is technically impossible. Do you understand? So in that situation, it would be difficult for that data subject to exercise their, to exercise their data portability, um, right. Do you understand? I'm, I'm trying to see. It's, it's a, it's somewhat of a complex scenario, but I'm trying to just explain that sometimes it may be difficult for a data subject to really exercise this portability. But the good thing is that developed systems have, um, exceptions for this and where it is technically impossible for the controller to, you know, move data from one platform to the other, then they can say no to your request. Um, a sixth Right, is rectification. This is very straightforward. If you have wrong data, if you're holding wrong data about me, I can direct you, I can instruct you to change my data. If, if my surname is not properly spelled in your database, for example, I can, I can tell you to change it. If um, you have my wrong data of that, I can instruct you. So that is very, very, very straightforward. Now, this first six data subjects, right? So let me quickly, and this can again, right of information, right of access, Right of um, erasure or deletion, right to be forgotten. That's three. And right of processing, right, right of restriction of processing, and right of portability, and right of execution. These six rights are the only ones that you find in the NDPR. Mm-hmm. For in other frameworks, and I keep seeing other frameworks because sometimes, even as Nigerians, and we bound, we fall under the scope of GDPR. It's, I know it's, um, it's strange. For example, I can, I can exercise, I can exercise, I'm Nigeria, but I fall under the scope of GDPR. So sometimes I, I get to enjoy other data subject rights too, by virtue of not being in Nigeria. And, um, there are two additional data subject rights. The first one is rights objects. Like, I can tell you that please don't, don't, whatever it is that you want to do. I know you want to process my data. I'm objecting to it. I don't like it. Don't do it. That is one right. For example, if you want to use my information for direct marketing, all of those crazy text messages that you've been getting, the unsolicited text messages that you've been getting, you can object to them. Oh, yes. So you annoying. Can, you can object to them. That's, that's it, right? Another one Why is... Why is waiting for a last? You are sending me stupid <laughs> messages. How is that my business? Exactly. Another one is automated decision making. For example, profiling. Now, uh, I'm sure you know how ETF works. 
this is an this is a very good example actually auto auto um applicant tracking system when you apply for jobs and then your CV they just bounce the CV out right that's that's yeah a, a very good situation where uh, ADM automated decision making works but this is not a right I can exercise in this context you can't sue them that they validated your right why because the ADM the automated decision making process must produce legal effect. That is not illegal. When the company rejects you for a job, it's not illegal. Even though, now, this price is very interesting because it just says that as, as an individual, as a human being, you should be able to say no, to object, to refuse to be subject to a decision that is entirely determined by a computer. Do you understand? Let's say, for example, you're driving and then a traffic cam takes a picture of your, of your, your plates and then they find you, they think that you're running, you're speeding. And then they find you. You can object to that decision because it was entirely automated, and it produces legal effects on you. It's, you're going to be sanctioned, even though. So the point is that because there was no human intervention, there's there's, there's a likely um, problem of maybe machine bias or something. And as an individual, you shouldn't be subject to automated decision making processes that produce legal effects on you without human intervention. You need if you want to, you have a right to request a human intervention. So, but unfortunately, these two final data subject rights do not really apply. Our laws do not expressly provide for them, even though there are references to ADM, automated decision making, that particular last yeah. right is not fully expounded in the law. So let me just stop here. I'd like to very quickly add to that. Now, um, you know, like I said, data protection for me is not the same as privacy. So it may not exactly enjoy the constitutional um, protection of fundamental rights. Do you understand? So, even though fundamental human rights are not there, they are not even absolutely per se, they still enjoy a certain protection. I'm not entirely sure that, again, this is, this is an academic argument, but data protection may not enjoy the same level of, of protection as fundamental rights, privacy, for example. So that's on the one hand. On the other, when the NDPR was enacted in 2019, January 29, when it came out in 2019, there were lots of, there was an omission as to you know, whether it was absolute or situations in which, in which the law would not apply. And that was, that was unclear for a very long time. But the good thing is that in the implementation framework of November 2020, there was some clarification in that regard. So, um, in certain contexts, all of these things that we're talking about would, would never apply. One of them is for public, um, for national interest reasons, for reasons of public health, matters concerning security. You understand? National security. That's like the one exception to everything one that the government it's a very broad exception. It's a very broad, it's a very broad, very broad um, exception. And the leverage on it a lot. Leverage on it a lot. Another exception is the investigation of criminal and um, tax offenses, I think. Yeah. So if the legal authorities are trying to investigate crimes, you cannot exactly be insisting on your on your data protection rights. Right to be forgotten. They won't stand, exactly, they won't stand. <laughs> they won't stand. Oh. Now, again, if processing is within the context of personal or domestic activity, let's say... The household exception. The household exception. They want to hear more about that. Yeah, so um, basically, it's saying that if your mom is the one that is posting your picture or your dad, or it's within the context of a, you know, of a, of a, of a domestic setting. And you may not exactly be changing data protection rights. I, I see again, this is very complex because there was a, a decision in the EU where someone, I think the grandmom was posting her pictures. Yes, I wanted to read the grandchild. Yeah, but all of these things, all of these things are, you know, they're examined on a case by case basis, really. Well, generally, I, I think the understanding of data protection is that if it's, the processing is not done, and for commercial reasons, if it's not done for the purpose of maybe, you know, making money or getting on view attention or generating publicity for a particular commercial um, purpose, it would be extremely difficult to, you know, insist on all of these things. Insist on all of these rights. So, yeah, that is one. I have a question. Like, Please go on. Where do you draw the line? Like, for example, me, I, I never had the good numbers. So, I have a lot of numbers. If I decide that I want to start sending them promotional messages like on WhatsApp and I'm broadcast, broadcasting my business, some of them are my friends, my family and all. Is that like commercial? Like, how do you categorize it? 
like you said, if you're doing it for, if you're doing it for commercial reason, if you're doing it for commercial reason, yeah, you're doing direct marketing already. And I should say that direct marketing even has the framework is even the standards of compliance are even higher. It's more scrutinized than regular processing. Higher. Yes, it is. Direct marketing, for example, in the in in certain jurisdictions is regulated by the EU privacy directive in the EU, right? And um for example, if you're sending, let's say, emails, you're doing direct marketing by emails, you need consent. You don't have the option of other legal business, you need consent. So it doesn't matter if you're an individual, if you're an individual or you're a corporate organization. If you're doing it for the purpose of making profit, of advertising a business, of, as long as there's, there's, there's a commercial interest involved, you may be in breach of your data protection rights. This is, this is quite sensitive. Yeah, I'll tell you what's up this week. You may be. You may be. But the exception, the exception is that, let's say that you got the number for a particular service, right? Let's say you, you sold, um, you sold clothes to someone, and you got their number, you got their contacts when you sold the clothes. Now, if you want to do, do, if you want to contact them subsequently for direct packaging, and you, are you advertise shoes this time around, it's a related service. So you may not necessarily need concept. Like I said, standards of direct marketing are really high because you cannot rely on contractual obligation. You cannot rely on um, vital interest. You cannot rely on LI. It's consent. But the only exception in this case is that if you're what you're advertising, what you're directly contacting them for is for a related service like done in the past, then you can you can you can rely on some other legal business. So yeah, be careful. I don't send this. Is. That's why I don't appreciate receiving them. I don't see that. Yeah. It'd be very annoying. But thank you. This has been very enlightening. Very, very. I've learned so much. I think I will listen to my own podcast over and over again. Especially <laughs> like this episode. And probably every other episode. Because all the people I'm bringing are like my bosses in this case. Thank you so much, Jamie, for your time. Before we go, do you want to like very add anything or say anything? Well, um, what I would just say is that Again, I think that what you're doing is really good. I, I, I think that a lot of people would appreciate it. That there's still a lot of vagueness on this particular space. It's, it's a developing space in Nigeria. People are not really conversant with some of the rights that really belong to them. People don't see the need to even, you know, insist on their data protection rights or learn about them. But as organizations continue to mine data, as organizations continue to utilize personal data, they become more and more affected. They become more and more impacted. And it's important that everyone understands the implication of these things. Again, I wouldn't suggest that we approach all of these activities with animosity or we see it as sinister because the truth is that when organizations collect your data, when big tech, when they collect your data and they start giving you tailored, tailored services, it makes life easy for you. You know, I like it when I'm filling forms, for example, online forms, for example, and instead of just typing out all my, all my information every time I fill it from my web browser, you know, just auto fills out that. Exactly, because of the activities of the cookies. Exactly, because of the activities of the cookies on my browser. That's really convenient. But of course, so, there are, there are benefits to it, but there are, there are disadvantages too. And it's extremely important that we personally educate ourselves on the implications of these things. Now, there are lots of resources online. There are lots of materials online that we can easily read and digest and, and you know, try to know. So it's important that we, we keep having conversations, we keep educating ourselves. Yeah. And um, I know that the, the space, the framework will get better. It will get stronger. And eventually, I know at some point, we'll be able to approach all of the regulatory authorities and try to enforce many rights that are increasingly being breached. So if we don't understand how these things are, it will be difficult to approach and claim our rights or fight for our rights, so to say. So yeah. Fight for our rights as warriors. Freedom fighters and activists. Exactly. Exactly. Thank you so much. As I said earlier, this was very educative and informative. Thank you for your time. Billable time that we took from you. Thank you very much. You're very much welcome. Yeah, so, so we come to the end of this episode of the Data Protection 101 podcast, and we had Semi Tire on. You know, I have a thing for full names. Like, I like being called my full name, so, so I tend to like it. Like I said, like I said, friends call me Tire, but everyone, everyone else calls me Tire. 
So, okay. yeah. I, I, I always mean, insist on Victoria. I correct Vicky at the very point anyone says it. So, I'm used to calling cool names, but thank you so much. I'm sure we all enjoyed this episode and we learned so much from it. Okay. Uh, we'll come to the end of this episode and I will see if that's technically wrong, but see you in the next episode. Thank you for your time. Uh, it would be nice, it would be nice to come again some other time and further, you know, address some other We would love to have you issues. this knowledge for free. Yeah. <laughs> thank you so yeah, thank much. Thank you so much. So thank you so much for inviting me. You're welcome. We've come to the end of yet another episode of this podcast and I really, really enjoyed this episode. In case you guys don't know, it's like really awkward <laughs> for me to just be talking to myself throughout for like 30 minutes on an episode of the podcast. But here I got to have a conversation and I got to learn so much from Tyre and I'm sure everyone will have shared experiences with me on this one. But before we go, I have a question I need people to answer. No, it's not It's not a who did this, who did that. It's personal opinion and everybody's right. So if you have one chance, blanket chance, to exercise your right to be forgotten on one thing, one set of information in one place, where would it be? Like, what will you use your one free chance to exercise the right to be forgotten? What will you use it to erase? So you can answer this by engaging our social media handles on Twitter at DigiLaw, LinkedIn, it's also DigiLaw, and Instagram. You can engage us on any of these platforms, telling us the one you will use your right to be forgotten to erase. Thank you so much. Thank you once again for listening to my episode. We'll see you same time. Two weeks time, I guess. Take care. Ciao. Thank you for listening to Data Protection 1-1 podcast. The podcast was hosted by me, Victoria Olonia, and produced by DigiLaw. Until we meet again, stay safe.